0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist.
1: Welcome to episode number 214 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode we are going to talk DMT with the, what I like to call the alchemical marriage in physical form. In other words, Jesse and Susan, two alchemists that I have known online for many years. Jesse has also appeared before in episode 116. Now, I've been reading their reports of their DMT experiences in an alchemy-related forum, and I felt, since I know them, that it would be Good to talk to them about their first journeys with this grand mystery of nature. Now we had a long discussion, several hours in fact, and I've cut out a lot of it. The actual bit where we talk about how the DMT was actually extracted and the method of smoking has been totally removed, and only those that are patrons can enjoy this deleted section. So go to patreon.com forward slash alchemist if you want to become a patron and check that out. It's a good 20 minutes. You see, the alchemical process of extracting DMT is for many people confusing to listen to anyway, so unless you have any experience with the extraction process, chemistry or alchemy, you won't get much from that bit I cut out anyway. So I decided that it would be better to focus this episode on the actual mystery. And that is what is most interesting to me anyway when it comes to DMT. And as you will hear, all in all, no need to worry about anything really. It is all a beautiful, cosmic, nonsensical adventure. So thanks for being on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Been a while since we did it. One,
1: hey, it's been uh, over two years almost. Uh, could you tell the listeners though if, if they can't remember who you were? And and also, we have a, a first time appearance as well.
2: Well, for all the f- first time listeners, I'm Seth Ra, also known as Jesse, and this is my lovely wife.
0: And I'm known as Lapis Solaris on the Alchemy forums. And my name is Susan. Did I mention that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, um, and you recently dived into the wonderful world of DMT. What was your experience of uh, any type of psychedelic before you were doing this uh, DMT-Lotus mix? Well, I mean,
2: technically, if you look up list of, like, psychoactive substances, caffeine, because we love coffee, (laughs) um... And other than that, probably not too much else. Uh, Like I said, we use Blue Lotus uh, for meditative purposes because it helps with dream enhancement that kind of thing. But it's not really, I don't think, psychedelic. Um,
0: It's mostly a mild sedative. It does – Blue Lotus is funny because um, if you take – if you smoke a lot of it, it makes you – whenever you dream anything, it doesn't matter if it's a nonsense dream or if it's a meaningful dream or anything, it just makes it more vivid if you have a lot of it. And you'll notice that, you know, they really stand out to you when you remember them if you've had some. So it's not technically, I don't think, a psychedelic, but it does do that.
2: Aside from, you know... The alchemical materials like that, we hadn't really done anything like this. And this tethers so well into the alchemical landscape to where I'm pretty certain that even the alchemical stones like our cinnabar stone, uh, like any of the other stuff that's made in the text, from what I've recently found looking you know, more scientifically into this particular study – it all seems to be the same thing. It plays on our body's ability to create the DMT in our own mind. It's the DMT itself is the link, the physical catalyst or portal for us the fractal, you know, egos or conscious eyes at this level of being for the all and the one. And just, you know, the other side of the veil basically and all the other stones all the stuff they do amazing things they can act on you know plants and animals they can act on metals we can tr- change things like i've seen and experienced and proven this these concepts throughout the you know over a decade that i've been or more that i've been doing this but as far as our actual development or growth goes our actual spiritual understanding and truly grasping of everything like literally all it's doing is playing on this particular thing which is so readily available if we just could see it <laughs> sooner and you know reach out and touch it
0: that's funny because last night you know it, one of the the bigger breakthrough things that it you know it pros this this uh, this notion of uh this is the only realm where we are ignorant because <laughs> every other um realm of consciousness or being You can see into everything and you can look at it for what it really is Whereas here we it's almost like this is the only place. We have the ability to ignore it And um, I almost feel like that's sort of where we get this um, idea of you know pain and suffering and Displeasure because you know if you can see it. It's not it's not really painful anymore if you really understand it and you you completely experience where that's coming from and why it's happening but um as far as anything psychoactive that either of us have done you know like we said we we just did the alchemical work um and it was through different materials um none of it was specifically to extract any dmt uh we've never tried mushrooms or you know we've never done hard drugs like cocaine or meth or anything like that um yeah, so aside from this, it's really just been stuff like caffeine, alcohol. DMT, if you get a good
1: heroic dose, is actually the hardest drug you could take. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, probably. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, been, uh, you were writing your reports and reading them. I still f- feel that, or or maybe it is because you're in a good place, but you, st- it still sounds to me like you've had a very enjoyable experience. It's always enjoyable. But uh, not so much uh, the difficult experience that you can also have, which are also very... In fact, some could say also that they're the best ones because you usually learn even more from them. But have you had any moments where it was like, oh, uh, this is enough or this is scary or this is too much?
0: There is um some... that I haven't actually reported on. I wanted to, um, understand for myself and to process it. The, um, it's hard to say that it was displeasurable because really all that was is just almost uh, how to explain my singular self not completely, uh, encompassing or being able to surrender to the experience. What I, what I'm trying to say, (laughs) so, um, what I experienced itself was what I think you would call Ein Sof" in the Kabbalah, um, Jewish mysticism. There's this space where, um, you know, it's like a blank space made where things are created from the potential. What I was seeing was it was this white blank space, but I wasn't just seeing it. Um, I was it. <laughs> I felt like, and I'll say that this felt like it was from my stomach. Uh, my, uh, solar plexus chakra, um, felt like it was being stretched infinitely into this space. And I was seeing it. It looks, I couldn't explain exactly what I was looking at because there were shapes and colors within it. Um, like I, I'd say that they look something like if you were to um view from a different dimension um matter and things happening and they were expressed in these particular pieces um that were different sort of colours and um but the I couldn't really focus on those because I was just focusing on the fact that whoa I feel like I am completely this I am this space. Like my, my little being can't comprehend that or really, it doesn't know what to do with that. And so that freaked me out mostly just because it was like a mind blast. Like what, what was that? What on earth? Um, I was lying there for quite a while afterwards going, ah, (laughs) because I was like, what on earth is that? And, It was scary, but it was scary because it was overwhelming, I suppose. That was really the main point was that it was overwhelming. Any other bad, quote-unquote, experiences that we've had, it's like in the first place, for example, one of the first things that I saw when I – it's like Jesse uh, saw this first and um, this sort of jester figure – and he was black and white and everything around him was black and white doing this, you know, the kind of um, the form which mocks you and and goes, ha ha, you know, kiss my ass. But like when I saw for the first time I saw this figure, um, all I did was I, I looked at him and I said, that's fine, whatever you, I'm going to enjoy you no matter what you do. And instead of being black and white and, you know, almost uh, cold or angry, it instantly turned into color and like a happy clown. Looking thing, um, and so things like that. Where if if we've ever seen something that we didn't like, that was on a that's really a smaller level. Because what I was saying about the experience of like Ein Sof, that was big, <laughs> infinite. But these um, little experiences, if it's if it's displeasurable, that's really just I think perspective as far as we've experienced, because you look at it and you enjoy it anyway, and it turns into something enjoyable.
1: What I mean when I think about the fear uh, is more of the, uh, not. I mean, not for anything you really see, it's more of the, I always think about Nietzsche, this thing about when you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back, and uh, that's a good thing. I mean, you can read that and Well, it sounds good, but if you actually looked into this eternal, like, infinite abyss uh, and it looks back, it's quite scary. The, uh,
2: The fear aspects of it, for me, have mostly been, I guess, reflections back at me. The jester thing that came up first, that was the first thing that I had that was, you know, a bad, quote unquote, bad experience or trip. And that was because it was it basically imprisoned me in a sort of timeout and, you know, mocked me and everything until I learned to let go. Letting go seems to be the big thing because we have this innate primal, you know, fear of letting go. Of not being in control, or not being, you know, what we call alive. Like there's this weird wire in our brain that says, if this doesn't go like it's going right this second, then everything is just wrong. Um, so we're also naturally, you know, resistant to change. And it's funny because when you experience this, you're looking at something that is ever shifting, ever changing. And at the same time is still the singularity that it is. Um, But it's an all-encompassing singularity, and it very heavily has impressed on me before during one of the deeper dives uh, to accept everything. Everything that it's fixing to show me, everything that is, everything that will or could be, just accept it, Um, which is a lot easier said than done. Um, I had been asked... uh, by you, to try to lucid dream and smoke it in there. I have been meaning to report on this over the past couple of days. I have not lucid dreamt in order to do this. I have, however, done it just innately in the dream. (laughs) Um, Did not realize I was dreaming. I just smoked it in the dream, and I saw... The fractals and everything, it was bright, you know, daylight in the dream. And so the fractals were rainbowed and layered over what I was seeing. And from there, it shifted. And I've had three different dream experiences so far that have involved this thing. Uh, The first one was before I smoked it in the dream. I had actually. I was coming off of it for probably about a week. It, it had been about probably three or four days since I had last done any. Um, and just I had a very aware and awake and vivid dream where I was seeing this girl. Uh, she looked rather South American. Uh, she was young. Yeah, she was uh, indigenous um she was pure. That's the best way I know how to describe her. She was pure, um, perfect. Not it wasn't about her physical quality. That she radiated this purity and this perfection. She was up on a screen, and what I was doing in this dream was trying to, I guess, find myself. I was trying to find. It was like a song that I was looking for. Um, and there was other people, we were like lost in a corn maze of sorts, looking for, you know, this our various songs. And there was a bunch to choose from, but trying to find the one that was us was the, the key here. Um, and there was this giant screen, and this girl appears on the screen, and I'm looking at her. Uh, she's just being, she's not, you know, doing anything, she's just standing there, being, existing, and is beautifully perfect um, she's unclothed She's just natural she's perfect and to my right i look and there's this silhouette uh, it wasn't even like a person it was just a blacked out silhouette of a generic you know hater just a person from the crowd and she's just yelling at this girl to you know cover up to do this to do that to like fit some kind of image and the girl on the screen just smiles and starts putting on clothes, puts on a mask. And I'm looking at the silhouette that's yelling at her, and I'm like, who are you to judge or say anything about this person? Uh, and it was at that moment that then the indigenous girl on the screen started just talking directly to me. And she had thrown off the mask and you know the clothing and everything and went back to being herself. But what she was then telling me was about the masks that we put on. And not just like in our day-to-day waking life, the the roles or responsibilities or the clothes or the image, but literally the masks of what we are as fractalized pieces of everything. And uh, these fractals that we're putting on, they're not you know, the totality of what we are, the true singularity, the true thing that we're pieces and in fact are, you know, within ourselves, what we are, are not the fractals. The fractals are just mirrors, reflections, you know, smoke and mirrors, illusions. It's real, but it's not real. Um, They're important, but they're also not important. They're jokes. It's all a cosmic joke. It's for fun. It's for being, it's for expressing. It's, and it's just all of that at once. And we pick them up and we put them down at will, uh, just at whim, you know, whatever. And that experience, uh, you know, was that really stuck with me for the next few days as I, you know, try to integrate that understanding into my day-to-day life. The next one I had was when I actually smoked the pipe in the dream. Uh, from there, after the initial fractals and everything, I went into uh, this other storyline, basically, where I was at, you know, work. I was dealing with, you know, my coworkers and stuff. But then this again, indigenous woman showed up. This time it was an older woman and uh, she, you know, looked, when I say older, I'm starting to get like the vibe of kind of the, you know, maiden mother crone feel. Um, This one had more of the kind of crone, old, wise, medicine woman feel. And she actually started just randomly talking to me about, you know, the DMT. And it was kind of funny because my... Other bits of my subconscious, my coworkers that were there in this dream, uh, they were just kind of looking. At, it reminded me of Inception. You know, in Inception, everything around you is the dream, and then when like a foreign element pops up in that dream or a foreign consciousness, the rest of the dream looks at it and is like, "What is this?" and that's pretty much what happened the rest of my dream started looking at this uh, looking at this indigenous lady uh, who is clearly an outsider to the normal dream and is like what's going on here but she started talking to me about uh making the DMT and about using it correctly um and I started trying to ask her questions you know trying to make sure that I'm doing things right because I'm not trying to uh abuse it or misuse it in any way. I'm just trying to fully wrap my head around it as best I can um, and get what I'm supposed to, uh, understand what I'm supposed to, um, which, you know, everything's perfect. You can't really fuck it up. So it's like, I'm trying to, you know, get what lesson I need in this fractal, (laughs) uh, transform as I need to. And what she basically ended up doing was telling me to meditate and so right then and there in the dream, I start meditating with her and she starts doing, you know, kind of a, you know, um, kind of deal. And I just zone out listening to her and began meditating. And from there, uh, there was then this, it, it, the dream shifted and it became this thing of like, I could be arrested. I could be challenged. I could be killed. Uh, for even doing this, because I mean, technically, it's illegal. So um, there's that. And even then, in the in that dream, I guess because I was meditating, because it's part of the acceptance, it's part of the letting go um, that we all kind of innately have a problem with. We have a problem with not necessarily fighting back. Um, and it's really highlighting to me a lot of the Jesus narrative in you know forgiving. Uh, those that would attack you and understanding those that would attack you, um, and that's really scary for us, um, especially somebody like me who's combative since he was a child. You know, <laughs> uh, walk around four years old with a bat, telling my brother I'm going to make him bleed. Like you know, <laughs> little things like that. You, you don't you don't bend the knee easily. You don't let go easily, and that's what it's trying to. Get you to do is to accept, and I'm not the only one, of course, that struggles that way. We all struggle with that, and I think that's what most hellish things are born of: is this fear of letting go, this fear of uh, you know that we can't control it, or this fear of the unknown. We hold on, and we tor- we end up torturing ourselves, and that's where the jester and other hellish, creepy things come from: is from you know we're tormenting ourselves. Um and it's that too is necessary because once you go through it it should be a thing of you know being able to be at peace with it learning to accept it because once you accept it then it's not scary then it just it's a part of what is um it's a part of yourself and the last thing that i experienced on in the dream realms uh, that was it actually did terrify me i woke up terrified um, this started out similar to the, the way the other one started out, which was that I was kind of at work. I was dealing with my normal people. It ended up being some kind of a banquet we were eating at. And we had told everybody like, you know, uh, told the waiting staff what kind of plates we wanted, what food we wanted. And they were supposed to then bring it to our table. Everybody got theirs except me. I didn't get mine brought to me. Um, that kind of pissed me off. <laughs> uh, and it also highlights something that I had reported on previously, which was uh fear of being, you know, rejected or kicked aside. Um, and there, there again, it, it brings up your fears, your insecurities, and it makes you work through them. And that is a terrifying thing for anybody, uh, whatever the insecurity is. And so here in this situation, I'm being left out, ignored, kicked to the curb, And so in typical, you know, Jesse fashion, I get up and say, well, fuck y'all, I'll get my own. I don't need you anyway. (laughs) And so I get up and start looking to make my own plate. Well, it took me a minute to even find clean plates. Uh, The other banquet guests were kind of making a mess of everything, which was then pissing me off because I'm like, you people are acting like animals. And it's it's filthy and it's pathetic. Like, why are y'all doing this? Everything is so nicely laid out. And here y'all are, you know eating a little bit off of one plate and then throwing that into the food of, you know, the rest of it and just making a mess. But I finally found a plate and I started making mine, um, trying to find food that hadn't been contaminated with everybody else. Um, and that right there, if you analyze it is ego. Uh, you think you're better than everybody else. You don't think that you're a part of it all, uh, that you can somehow do better or be smarter or whatnot. And, any of us that have ever experienced any kind of knowledge, wisdom, or quote-unquote enlightenment, that's that's part of the problem is this arrogance of thinking that we're above them and above the rest of the ones that we're around when we're actually all part of the solution and the problem all the time. Um, but so I didn't think about that, of course, at the time because I'm fully invested in this dream just like I'm fully invested in the fractal of – Myself right now having the podcast. So um, I, I found me a, a piece of pizza that hadn't been contaminated with the others. Um, and I ended up following because was, it was not enough. I was looking for more, which there again, it's another thing that humans uh, probably really anything is bad about is mm-hmm. greed. We always feel like we need more. So I had something that was, there was plenty of weight to it. I I specifically remember the weight of this slice of pizza because that would have made me full. That would have been plenty. But the fact is, is that I also wanted a side to go with it. I wanted more. So I follow the people down this corridor because it was like this banquet kind of stretch through multiple hallways and rooms. And when I got into the deeper portions of it, That's when I really started getting terrified because, one, I was getting turned around and lost, and I couldn't necessarily find the way that I just came from. And at the same time, I then see these people having cows or bulls tied up on their backs, and they're just breaking them with their bare hands open and eating them raw. And the bulls are still alive and they're screaming and they're like looking me dead in the eyes. And I have this weird empathy with them, um, which actually relates back to another uh, part of uh, the the first one of the first uh, dream experiences that I had. I forgot to mention, uh, which is where I was able to throw in that dream my consciousness from one body to the next. I could go into different animals, plants, whatever. I could just sling my consciousness and then I was that thing. Um, and at, at one point of doing that, I felt like I was, you know, not going to be able to find my way back to my original body. And then it kind of clicked that, well, it's all my body because <laughs> it's all one. So, you know, whatever, just go with the ride. Which there again, something of letting go and also understanding connectivity. So here I am in this hellish hallway and uh, rooms, and there's these people just breaking open these poor large beasts and devouring them, and the beasts aren't dying. They're just screaming in agony, and I feel the sympathetic, empathetic connection with them, and the people that are eating these bulls start looking at me, because I'm now the outsider. I have thought myself better and smarter than them. I have alienated myself from them by thinking I you know, have a better way And now I am at odds with the very actions that they are doing, and like a swarm of hornets, they start looking at me like I'm prey, because I'm the oddball out. And just like they're devouring the bulls, they'll devour me. And with that, I am absolutely shaken and terrified and begin absolutely running for the door if I can find my way back out. And I ended up finding my way out. Uh, I, I ran out of there. I found another coworker and began trying to tell them what was going on and they were completely unbothered by it and I was the only one having this problem. <laughs> and then from there I woke up. And it was later that a friend reminded me that literally that was kind of the whole, you know, experience of the song Hotel California (laughs) and I'm like that's really creepy but uh, at the same time you know musicians and artists are often they do DMT and they do a lot of other things and they actually expand their minds because that's just what artists oftentimes do Um, and there's a lot of deep truth that can be hidden throughout art and I've sat back and I've thought about all of that whole experience and I realized that, honestly, I should have just rolled with everything from the start. I shouldn't have got mad that I didn't get, you know, my stuff brought to me. I should have just fasted or, you know, rolled with it. Accept the experience. If the people turned on me to eat me, I should have just accepted the experience. Um, because everything that I'm experiencing that I'm having a problem with, I'm experiencing it because I have a problem with it. Uh, because I'm not open to being, not just in the fractal that I currently am, but in everything that follows. And you know, even the fractals that are around me, if I'm having problems with these people, if I'm thinking arrogantly that I'm better than them, like, whatever it is, it's it's just fear and misunderstanding of just how deeply connected and how absolutely beautifully perfect and intimate everything really is. And as long as I can hold that into perspective and keep that perspective, then I think I can, at least in my fractal here and now, you know, be the most that I can be, uh, be my true self and experience and be truly uh, without needing um, anything more without needing people to be a certain way uh, without fear of death, um, fear of being attacked, without needing to defend without needing to attack without needing anything because the needs are already provided for everything's provided for and I mean that's that to me is where the fear of things stems from is the inability to want to or not necessarily to want the,
0: to accept
2: yeah the the um, resistance, the fractal resistance to accepting of what is so much more than just the individual fractal And uh,
1: what I find interesting is that the moment because I've had similar life experiences as you, uh, the moment I was truly shown how to let go and when i actually did let go it just did it did feel like that stereotypical saying where weight is uh, goes off your shoulders like a big rock it's a very strange feeling but uh, and it when it when you when i actually did let go never came back so now i can still fall back into that uh, anger thing but it it takes it needs to be a lot um and usually something related to if I think my my child is threatened, which is nothing doesn't really happen. But yeah, I
2: definitely understand that. And see, I find that now especially a lot of I'll give you a good example. Last night um, I had a really good breakthrough session, um, a good experience, and then. A little while later, uh, I waited probably an hour or two, and I went back to try again because it it felt like there was something I wasn't doing or that I needed to do to, like, really transform myself. And so what I worked on doing was trying to see if it could, you know, more explicitly tell me. It felt like it was trying to tell me, I figured it was probably like meditate, but I wasn't sure if I was necessarily meditating the way that it was wanting me to. Uh, So I was pretty much smoking it, going in with the idea of, look, I'm really dumb, you're going to have to break this down for me. (laughs) And the first thing that it did, it was telling me that essentially my mind was getting in the way. I needed to silence my mind, uh, my fractal ego, I. You know, consciousness, Um, because I'm not paying attention, or I'm not seeing because I'm too busy analyzing or trying to, um, you know, retell or recap or tell others or whatever. I'm I'm not hearing because I'm not focusing rightly, and so I just need to let go. And so, it ends up telling me that what I needed to do was close my eyes every time I've done a trip so far. I have, you know, we do it in total darkness. Uh, We're really quiet for one another. And then, like, I keep my eyes wide open. Like, I want to see what's going to happen. And what it was basically telling me was, essentially, stop doing that. Like, you're looking with the wrong eyes. And the way that it did that, when when my eyes were open, I was seeing the fractals. I was seeing, you know, the, the geometry of everything. But I wasn't having the blast off. But it was still there, of course, and it's talking to me, and when I closed my eyes, then it was like I was still seeing everything, but I saw it differently. Instead, I saw more of a personage, more of a, a person, uh, more of you know, the presence, more of the point, <laughs> you know, less of the form and the shifting design, more of the actual being behind the design. And it's like, you know, you've got to close your eyes and see with, you know, basically the third eye, like literally the third eye. You've got to see. You've got to make your eyes singular. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And like I said before, it's it's really highlighting a lot of the Jesus story to me. So I'm like, okay. So I waited a few minutes as it as I came down from that one, and I meditated like that. And I was like, all right, I'm going to try this. So I reloaded the pipe and I dove right back in. And I did so with my eyes closed and trying to meditate that way. That time it put me through a really strong letting go. And the way that I let go, it was like letting go of feeling the need to tell other people, even the experience. Like I'm telling it right now because, you know, you're asking me questions and all of that, like it's being requested of me, but just going out and offering up the information, you know, one of the things of casting pearls before swine, it's not that the swine don't deserve the pearls. It's that it doesn't help them. They can't digest them. You're not helping them by giving them that, you know, they need food, not gems. If they don't understand the value of it, um, then it's not valuable to them. So, You've got to be able you know, to meet people where they are. That's what, how you help them is to see and understand them and give what's asked, not what you think arrogantly that they need. And so it, it runs me through this thing of letting go of just everything, the need to tell, the need to even really express that much other than just be. It, it keeps coming back to this thing of being – and, like, no attachment, because then you're attached to just all of it, and it's all beautiful and perfect.
0: It's funny that you mentioned that um, you saw more of the being behind the design, because I actually... It's the same thing that I... Uh, last night, you know, the same, same time, um, obviously took turns, but... Um, when I was in in the well, when I went in the first time, I had to go on again because and it was actually the same the same thing that it showed me and told me as the first time, but I wasn't quite getting it the first time. And then the second time, I realised I was seeing the same thing as the first time while I was doing it because I somehow had just forgotten. Um, it, he's talking about you know there are patterns that you see when you take it, and uh, it, it's all so uh, infinitely intricate and completely and um, it's never stationary. It's always moving and uh, changing and uh, uh, what do you say? Like it's swirling, like swirling and shifting and changing. And the thing is that I saw it's like a brass thing. Like it looks like if you could imagine almost piano strings, but instead of them being strings, they were designs in in the line of it. So it was like – or like a harp with, with intricate designs of the lines. And when I lo- – I was looking into it because I'm like, what am I looking at? And I realized it was a being of some sort. It, does, it doesn't look like it – you know, it doesn't look like anything you would imagine like an animal or a human or anything to look like because it doesn't have a head and a body or anything. It's like – it's so hard to explain, but I realized I was, I was looking at a being and it was all of the the fractals and colors. And I don't want to really say fractals, they're designs of it swirling and moving and changing. Um, And I realized that, you know, it, it was alive and then it changed into several, but they were all connected on this, uh, wave, and they were all different colors of the rainbow instead of brass colored, and it kept repeating to me, uh, time is time is an illusion, time is an illusion, time is an illusion, um, <laughs> because it was really trying to tell me through showing me that and saying that, and no other words were really spoken, there might have been a few, like, sort of subtly... But I realized a lot of what I needed to know just from that because of things I was worrying about in this earth or this realm or whatever it is that we perceive as really irrelevant in the the sort of view of things. And um, it's also – it's funny, you know, Jesse saying, the need to tell people about things is is sort of – I mean, this isn't something that I necessarily was – Big on to begin with mostly because of fear. So that wasn't the right answer either. But then going into all of this after doing it, like I said, I haven't really reported on these recent ones because – and Dreams as well that I've had since like they're all very personal to me. They're all very interesting to me It won't really make sense to somebody else Because <laughs> it can make sense I can tell you but you won't experience it yourself just by reading unless you've experienced the same thing and of course we all experience fear and um, at some level for whatever reason and anxiety or and in the sense of of the emotion anxiety I'm not necessarily saying we all have clinical anxiety, but um I mean, I don't know, um, but just sort of the dreams that i will have will just basically point out what I'm already experiencing and it's almost like this thing of just look at it, just look at it. And that's what I was experiencing last night and what I went into was just looking at it and looking at the structure, the geometry, the shape. Time is an illusion. Time is an illusion. And it was just showing me that you can look into it. And I, I came back from that having this perception of of there's more. Like that's all I really needed to know is that there is more. And there there is nothing on this uh perceptive realm that we see that we need to really worry about at all. It's it's just it's almost like we're here to tell a story or to experience a story by being ignorant of what was behind it in the first place, because if we weren't ignorant of this other thing, then we couldn't necessarily experience the opposite without that, and then uh, experience the meaning of that when you bring it back to it. So, say, something bad happens, you get to experience what good comes of it, but then, you know, there's no real duality anymore if you understand all of it to begin with. So... It's all very interesting, but it's also it's very personal because, you know, not everybody has the same uh, lack of perception in the same areas in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's very personal. And I remember the first time I, because I went into it all through ayahuasca, the first time I did ayahuasca, the only reason I was down in the Amazon doing it was for, scientific reasons uh, i mean i'm not a scientist but i was only there f- investigating this like ayahuasca clue just to see what it was and see if it was true what i've read about the reports and that so i was just taking it from that perspective but as soon as i was in the first experience the ayahuasca went like well now uh, have you looked at yourself <laughs> you know like there's some issues we need to solve first and uh, I I was it was like almost like going to the cinema but instead of watching a movie there was a team of doctors there who started to do surgery on you like you're like what the hell <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yep exactly and mm. that for me last night that was a big thing was bringing all of it cuz you know like I said I've been studying alchemy and practicing alchemy since I was 14 uh in a few more months I'll be 28 And this has just been like the most important thing that I've done in my life was to try and uh, see and understand and explore, you know, the mystery of it all and to have as deep a connection with the all and the one as I could, you know, to really touch apotheosis. Um, And that's really what this has allowed me to do. And then having done that, it's like, okay, well, what does that then do to me? Like, what does that mean for me? How am I transformed? What do I need to do? What, you know, what what am I supposed to do? What what do I need to do? Uh, who am I? What am I? And that's the kind of thing it makes you look at It makes you want to understand. And so, uh, you know, like last night, it's teaching me not, it, it's, you know, told me, let go. It showed me why I should let go. It's thrown the things at me. And each time it has, it's definitely changed part of my uh, psychology to start being more open to that and to understand it because I'm really – I like to think that I'm a really adaptable person. New information comes along, and I'll change my perception or opinion on the thing in a heartbeat um, because you know, it's – the understanding, the knowledge is what gets – you know me to understanding it it's it's what changes the the equation is more information so how is the information changing me well last night i closed my eyes i let go it, it like i said it runs me through this deep breathing exercise it was really funny it was making me kind of almost rock back and forth and let go as i was breathing with my eyes closed i'm i like feel this being uh, the presence it's teaching me it's directly teaching me at this point and it's like let go let go and as i'm letting go and it basically told me you're going to sit here and do this until you let go and i kind of laughed and as i'm like laughing i relax and i keep breathing and i i feel like you said before the this massive rock just lift off my shoulders Like I just I let go. And, you know, I stopped kind of rocking back and I start rocking forward because I'm with that weight gone. It's almost like I'm going to just fall over. (laughs) And I kind of open my eyes as I laugh and I get it. And uh, I actually had the weirdest physical sensation to my face. Which was literally, if I closed my eyes, it felt almost like a rushing wind and light pressure at my forehead. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and, and it was like bigger than my forehead too. It was like a massive, flaming, you know, eye was at my forehead, and it's like that is how you can feel and see is by that eye. Keep hold that feeling, that presence and with it let go of just all of it and that is how you start start bringing it into you know the physical transformation of the person is to you know solidify that into the the being and there again when you let go you just be you be everything mm-hmm. and
0: there are no adjectives
2: <laughs> yeah and it it was great it was it was hilarious because then as i'm doing that and putting that into practice, um, I go back in, uh, you know, that that third time to really just to do exactly that. Once that second time, you know, I tried it. It ran me through the exercises. I let it all go, and then I it ended. And I, you know, was just grateful for all of that. And then I wanted to do one more time, a third time, to see if I could just do it like that, with it let go, with that eye, that third eye open, and just bring it home right and so i dove right back in for the third time and all of a sudden it i'm there it's doing the thing and it starts laughing at me it uh literally is going tra la 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 and when sticking its tongue out at me and And it's funny because, like, the face that it's making at me, it's not, you know, human. It's just weird, like, geometrical. But it literally has, like, the eye with the tongue sticking out. And it's just – it's trolling me. And I kind of opened my eyes, and it's still mostly the same but not – and I actually found this nice in-between where I could just – don't, like, wide-eyed keep my eyes glued open because I've got to see with my physical body. But, like – also, I don't necessarily have to just close my eyes and lock out the physical. It needed me to do that to get me to the state where it could then laugh at me because it's, you know, fucking with me. And that's the point is that it's fucking with me. <laughs> All of reality is just, you know, it's, it's fucking with itself. And it's hilarious. And it's, it's the divine comedy. It's the great joke. And it's it's hilarious. And so I'm I start, you know, laughing. But I find this nice in between where my eyes, my physical eyes, are rested. They're they're kind of slanted, open, to where they're just they're resting, open, but also kind of closed. I'm I'm seeing with them, but I'm also they're, they're not important. So I, I'm using the physical, but the physical's not important because um, it's not all there is. I'm seeing with the mental and spiritual, but I'm also seeing with the physical. It's like trying to encapsulate all of it and that was the point was that it's always there it's always around us even right this second it's still around us it's still there it's still laughing and playing with us Mm -hmm. uh and all we're doing is playing with it by playing with each other by having these conversations by drinking our coffee uh, by getting dressed and playing our game of being us and it's it's just great
0: (laughs) and it also talks like uh different times it's communicated uh well I don't I know it has with Jesse too but with me as well if I've uh like before we did that last night it was basically I had this internal dialogue that it was telling me basically you need to look at the bits and pieces. That's what we'll do next. Like it was telling me before I had even gone into it. We had a friend over who did it first and um even just kind of having a whiff of it I I could totally see where he was as well and, and understand almost uh the communication of it always being there, and um like for example, there was another time where um I had put uh ethanol into um it was basically just uh binding more of the d m t extract to the lotus and um put it on a candle warmer to let it precipitate off, and uh I felt it tell me i'm ready. and then it started you know with more urgency when I didn't respond it's like I'm burning (laughs) and I was like okay so I went in there and it was done as I went in there and I was like huh interesting
2: (laughs) yeah it always talks to us um if if we will pay attention
0: yeah Uh, and it's always it's stuff that you can't make up like that kind of between different conversations with people who haven't even experienced it. I talked to Jesse's dad about, um, it was NCIS. There was a character called Ziva there uh, at my work were a couple of dogs called Ziva. This was how we had this conversation. And I also mentioned there was a a girl um, with the name of the actual actress. I had never seen the show. The friend that came over said, Oh, that actress plays the Play Ziva like I was I was I didn't even mention anything about the character I didn't even know about that but I mentioned that you know her name was Cody and then he's like oh that's also the name of this girl on NCIS and I was like no way I was just having this conversation yesterday I mean I know it sounds like irrelevant but it was just kind of this thing of like I didn't mention the character at all I mentioned the actress's name who I didn't even know that her name was that and he was just like yeah it, it was weird and if, <laughs>
2: The name was in relation to a completely different person not even the actress he's the one that thought of the actress and brought yeah. the whole conversation you know around to that and that was the thing is that it just it links up these conversations and that uh particular conversation happened after he had uh taken of the pipe uh because he went first he was more pressed for time but that was actually the second uh you know, uh, continuity conversation that we had had because almost a week ago now I was at work uh, standing on a door guarding it and I started, it was late at night, you know, I was fixing to get off work and so there wasn't a lot of foot traffic so I started drawing uh, on my schedule and one of the things I was drawing, I was trying to draw a 10-pointed star which is, you know, two pentagrams, uh, one upright and one inverted overlaid onto each other. But the way that I wanted to draw it was similar to what I had seen in the first, uh, real breakthrough I had, where I saw the hexagram, uh, the three dimensional hexagram that represented like all of creation itself. Cause it's, which by in, the
0: way is an impossible shape. Yeah.
2: You, it's an impossible shape in 3d to where all six sides, uh, all sides have, you know, six, uh, Sides to it, and uh, and at the same time, the hexagon is like the most efficient and perfected shape of nature in natural formations, which is why bees use it. Um, I, I found out that out later because I was like, why would of the he- why the hexagon of all things would that be, you know, creation itself? But then it makes sense because it's fucking perfect. And so, um, but what I was trying to do was get the points of this 10-pointed star to line up in such a way to where we create a hexagon. And I can't really necessarily draw worth the shit. I'm not an artist. I just kind of play at it, and especially when I'm just bored on a door doodling. I didn't tell anybody about that doodle. When I fucked it all up after about four attempts, uh, you know, I got off my door, I threw the schedule away, I went home, and I didn't think nothing else about it. My friend partakes of the pipe And then as he's coming down and all, it tells him to uh, tell me specifically about one of the shapes that he saw, which was of the pentagon uh, or pentagram overlaid into a hexagram and how to do it the right way. And I like cracked up because he didn't understand why it was telling why it wanted him to tell me that. And I just died laughing because I'm like, that is absolute proof positive That this is so much more than just like in our heads or like some kind of, you know, illusion or delusion or whatever. There's continuity there that cannot be ignored. Um, Because nobody except maybe surveillance (laughs) could see what I was drawing on that paper and then trashed. And I didn't tell anybody about it. Mm -hmm. And so the only one that could have known it is the all. (laughs) And then it like laughs about it and spreads Mm -hmm. it through our friends.
1: I think that's interesting is the thing with continuity. Uh, It's hard to say about the continuity from different going into it because... It's hard to know how long... If you go in... If you smoke it, you were there... And then you wait a week and you smoke again... How much time has passed in that place? It's hard to say. But when you're in the same experience... When you're... Because I've had this many times... When I've been in this space... And uh, I can see creatures or beings there... And I look away... And then I look back... And they are not in the same place as they used to be. They're like continuing their movement to where they were supposed to go. So there's a, like this continuity also of movement, which is completely uh, illogical if it was uh, hallucinatory because a hallucination wouldn't like start walking from A to B. And then when if I uh, look away, it's not going to continue that walk. And then when I look back, I'm seeing it finish the walk from A to B.
2: Right. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely all, you know, moving with its own will, with its own mind. And while all of that is linked to ours, because we are parts of it, um, it's the individual, you know, differences for the different levels or layers, the different fractals, the different pieces, um, which are giving it, you know, the flavor uh, of what we get to see what we get to experience and yeah it's it's absolutely real for you know just like what we perceive as our reality it's it's an illusion but it's a real illusion <laughs> so it's all real and it's all very important and it's also why it's not important it's all infinitely meaningful and deep and that's also why it's all infinitely meaningless and the joke <laughs>
1: And sometimes people have a problem with that concept of cosmic joke because you, they o- often think you are ridiculing people suffering or laughing at it. But I've, I've for, for years struggled to find a way to explain it because it's so hard to explain. But, you know, like if I if I watch the news, which I really do, but if I do watch the news, every news story and the way they present the news of what's happening is all quite funny, even though people are suffering, it's like so uh, pointless that they should be suffering because the solution is pretty simple. Uh, just, you know, usually it's, you know, if everybody just let go, it's no suffering. But, uh, uh, but it's still funny. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, see, I've always been accused, and it's because it's true, of having a dark sense of humor. So I laugh at that kind of thing anyway, which is another reason why I think... The personality that comes through of the all one to me, very much like you've said before, you get what you give. So just like last night, you know, it's trolling me, it's fucking with me, um, it's definitely teaching and guiding me, and it's it leads me where I need to be. And we have to go through the steps to get me there. Um, but then at the same time, it'll remind me that it's also, you know, pointless and that I'm retarded and that it'll like start making fun of me and laughing. And the, the I guess the big thing there is that it's probably because I'm such a troll. <laughs> I'm always argumentative and, you know, fucking with people and, you know, not necessarily an asshole because I don't really think I am. But uh, I know I can be absolutely and definitely – Uh, antagonistic and so it gives me that right back at me and it's kind of like throwing it back in my face and on the one hand I got it when it did that especially last night and I literally had that realization you get what you give I see and Mm -hmm. that's that's really funny it's very fitting because to that end we're literally creating um, you know our own experience as far as that goes because everything that we put out we're gonna get right back at some point it might not be immediately Uh, but that's where time being an illusion comes into play because you're going to get it back. (laughs) And it's, uh, it's just funny. Uh, uh, I wouldn't, you know, do anything differently because I mean, it it is what I am and it's how I am and.
0: But Humour really is a coping mechanism and at the end of the day, it knows every bit of it and why the suffering exists. And it also knows how loved every piece of it is and that suffering never is eternal. It will always pass on to the next thing. It's not forever and people in those situations, if we've been in situations where we were suffering, it always passes away at some point. And um, you always feel like it's going to last forever. You always feel like it's infinite, and that it's uh, you're trapped. Um, really, all that is is that you can't see the way out, and you will. And the fact yeah, that's just the fact of the matter. You will see a way out. It will come eventually for even, everyone,
2: even if it's by you know physical death. All it does it's a learning experience. If You know, it's partly a learning experience for the ones suffering and dying, but it's also a learning experience for all the lives that it touches around them, for the world around them that's touched. Um, Case in point, uh, just as, you know, an example from like World War II, all of that, the majority of countries sit back and say, we don't want a war like that again. The majority of countries, you know, understand that, you know, genocide of any group of people, uh, is explicitly wrong and should not be tolerated and allowed. Now, there are still you know, incidents of this going on, but the main world powers themselves don't engage directly in that anymore. It's a learning curve and a learning experience for people, and even the suffering of the ones who end up dying – they get out of the suffering in that release once you know mm-hmm. they eventually let go which we all eventually have to let go anyway so and, it's yeah. not that that's any more or less of a big deal everybody dies everybody's going to die and that's perfectly fine um, there's no reason making that sound bad
0: and everybody around them, when it does happen to them, the people that witness it learn from that experience that they've witnessed as well. So the suffering of that person passes away, and everybody around them gets a learning experience as well.
2: Yeah, it's all we're all vibrating together and shifting together um, because it's, it's part of it all being one. And it's hard for a lot of people to get that, um, I think, mostly because it's some more of that, Fractal individual ego holding on and being so serious about what they think that they themselves are Because they don't at this moment see what they really are and what's behind that surface and what this shifting world actually is Um, But eventually they will and that's okay.
0: I find that really ironic. It's like uh, you're basically taking your lack of understanding too seriously (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like
0: this view of your lack of that is Based off of your lack of understanding, you're taking that one little bit of it too seriously when it's not even real to begin with. <laughs> You've created an illusion and you believe in it.
1: You were talking earlier about uh, having your eyes open or closed and I've uh, had a few experiences where it, uh, whatever I'm seeing, uh, it doesn't matter if my eyes were open or closed. I, even at one one time I had to use my fingers to make sure I was opening and closing my eyelids because there was no difference. And uh, so that can also be quite intense. And a similar way is I once had a very, uh, I guess it was quite scary or unsettling experience with with the smoking the DMT, was when I was seeing uh, this world or I it's hard to describe, I was seeing it. I uh, just felt it was too much, so I tr- I looked in another direction, and it was there, so I looked behind me, it was there, it didn't matter where I was looking, it followed me like a shadow, and uh, that was quite, uh, that, that can be quite scary, but because you are uh, not letting go, I guess.
2: Oh, absolutely, when I actually do a full blast-off or breakthrough, or whatever you want to call it, I can't even perceive like my body i don't know if i'm moving i barely can tell if i'm breathing and there's been plenty of times when it's really at its peak where i honestly don't know if i'm alive or dead or if those don't even matter breathing doesn't i can't tell if i'm breathing my body clearly has been doing what it's supposed to do um because i'm still here but at the same time in that moment i have no idea if it is or not and i don't know if my eyes are open or closed I always go into it with my eyes open. Um, it doesn't matter if I look in any direction because it's always the same um, if i f- if I start feeling my body and I feel if I lean forward or can look around, um, yeah it's the same exact imagery if I close my eyes or open them, it's the same imagery, but you know I think the whole point of what I went through last night as far as the eyes open and closed was a literal lesson for me to let go of, like, seeing with just, you know, physical eyes or with trying to take in more uh, that way. It was it was a lesson for me, and that's why I had to go through those steps. And because it also, at the, you know, epitome of things, doesn't matter if your eyes are open or closed. That's then why, at the end, it kind of trolls and laughs at me, because <laughs> it also doesn't matter. So. <laughs>
1: It's like when the when I was in the Amazon the first time, and because I wear glasses, I was asking them if I should if I needed to wear them or not. And they're like, "What are you talking about?"
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it can it forces you to look at whatever it needs you to look at anyway. I say it needs you. You need it to confront you with it because you're if you're fearful or afraid of something, that's exactly what you should experience and seeing and understanding it is what makes the fear disappear
1: Uh, one thing I've noticed working with this for uh, coming in on 10 years now soon is the importance of tradition and ceremony and the irony with me in this case is that through my whole life I have been an iconoclast meaning that I've always been trying to break with tradition and destroy tradition and um, anything, if it's tradition, I'm against it, you know, basically. So <laughs> it's really like, I'm now I'm almost like a fundamentalist, traditionalist when it comes to the ceremonial part of when I'm doing any form of psychedelic because I've discovered that it does really do a lot. Sometimes it can even be like 50% of the whole thing and uh, there's no right or wrong. I, in my case, I just copy what i've seen these indigenous shamans do and i just copy that and but anybody could do anything uh, it doesn't there's no like rules or anything but uh i i think it's it should not be underestimated the ceremonial or traditional way and when i mean traditional i mean like is that you have uh, like now i just make things up but for instance you say like well i'll i'll always will do it on full moons. We'll do it in nature. It has to be a lot of trees. Uh, we always go there c- clean, like we shower and clean first, or we always wear these clothes. We always eat this food for that week before we smoke. You know, whatever it is, you can come up with your own thing. But I found that that is really helpful because what it does is it also. Creates a very powerful. Uh, it makes the intention stronger because you're so focused on it for a longer period. You can be still focused on it, but when you're actually doing a diet, and you clean. Because I sometimes often clean my house as well. <laughs> I vacuum the whole house and make it clean. And uh, I can also do like a sexual, fi- like no orgasm, for x amount of days before. So uh, because you have to concentrate then and then when you are actually doing it you're it's like uh, when you are going to do a um a, a match at a game or if you play if you're doing a boxing match you have to train before you do it
0: yes yeah, so you're basically you it's not something flippant it's not something normal you're treating it like it's holy it's special it's sacred and you focus on it i see what, i see why you do all of the, those things and it differently Um, would make a difference for sure I'm sure yeah Yeah. we we don't really personally uh, we haven't really um, although on the other hand you know it would be we would like to do all of that as well Um, and uh, it you know it's always a sacred thing for us um, anyway but uh, we do certainly want to do all of that
2: yeah there's certain things that we do um, like for one to us, our lab—it's both a workspace, but it's also a sacred space because mm. that's where we, you know, we create and we do things. We set up, you it's know, the sacred space for ceremonies or altar. for meditation. Yes, it's the altar. The
0: altar of a house. Yeah,
2: basically, it's it's the room in the house that is, you know, the threshold to the all. And so we go in there, we cut out all the lights in the house, we then blot out the windows in the lab, we, you know, make sure no light can creep in under the door. Um, We really set that room as the stage uh, for, you know, the all, Um, which is really funny too, because like in, in the sense of matter and energy, you know, white light is considered all of the light as one Uh, likewise you know the color of black would be considered all of pigment or all of like color you know materialized being one so we're creating this dark you know as pitch black as we can space because we're literally trying to get the all one manifesting uh within us around us for us uh to go into this you know for the transformation for the teaching for you know, whatever it is that we need um, at that moment, uh, try to bring it back down, as it were, which, there again, is very alchemical with the way that the stone works because, it, you know, it rises from earth to heaven and descends again to earth, combining within itself the powers of the above and the below.
0: Yeah. Uh, or within and without as well, because if yeah. you have too much light, you're, of course, you know, uh, too focused on... Um, the light spectrum but uh, almost like a false light whereas if it's dark you're looking into it and seeing the true light of what it really is so you're not being distracted
2: exactly and it's it's definitely we we have our own i guess kind of sacred ritualness that we do to it um and at the same time uh, especially here lately because the whole thing that really kicked it off i felt the calling to do this months ago not long after the solar eclipse stone had you know given me its vision and everything and I felt this call to this. Um, and I kept putting it off. Uh, I didn't really know why. I just I kept not seeing the funds being there to get the materials and it, it just didn't seem that big on my to-do list, but I kept putting it off and then all of a sudden, like around November, It just kind of hit me, and it's like, do it. Do it now. The solstice is upon us. Do it now. Get ready for the solstice. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I guess that's what we're going to do then. So I planned it as best I could around that kind of time frame, and of course I had it ready before then and already started practicing the diving before then. But when it came to actually I think the night of the solstice, when I did it, one of the things that it told me, Uh, It was basically it laughs at our notions of time and the celestial positions in the sky and all of that. It's like, yes, those things are beautiful and they're important um, for markers, for different things here. But those things also twist and spin and shift to their own devices and for their own reasons that have nothing to do with what you people think anyway. And it's just really cute that you all ascribe such meaning to it. Oh, yes, that
0: was one thing just that um, I mentioned that – I don't remember which time it was, but I really had this emphasis um, that it told me that words, books, knowledge, everything that we think, that think that we know, like it's all shit. It was basically telling me um, human wisdom doesn't even come close to grasping me or what everything really is. Like it's just – It completely doesn't come close. Um, And it said to me that, um, what was it? It, uh, Something's very specific. It said, the the greatest tragedy of the universe is humans thinking they know everything. And then it showed me this cascade. uh, Like I looked down and like this cascade of realms and rooms and uh, of lower realms basically all of these sort of quote unquote rooms which are, are you know dimensions and rooms that people put themselves in because they think they know everything but then that also limits them and holds them back and that is their tragedy <laughs> because knowledge what we think knowledge is it's just it's shit it, it doesn't come
2: close exactly and the the infinite all one is itself just incomprehensible. It, it specifically has said to me how incomprehensible it is. And then in another dive, I'm like, I, I didn't even go in asking. I just went in to receive, um, which I think uh, I keep, we both keep drawing comparisons to the Kabbalah because, you know, Kabbalah means reception. It, the whole thing is to receive, um, and that seems to just really be the whole thing, it is direct transmission mm-hmm. from the all one. And a lot of what we're seeing with the Sephiroth, with the you know, oh, the tree of life, the dimensions, the Einsoft, the space that houses the reality that is the one that contracted itself to make you know, the space itself for it. All of it just lines up so beautifully and so perfect. Oh, um, we look
0: at artwork, Kabbalah artwork and we just we look at it and we're like I understand that now. I've been there. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah.
2: And, and that's the thing is like you can't, you can't read it in the books, and really know what the hell they're talking about. And then I think that that's the beauty, uh, and I think you'll appreciate this especially. This is the beauty of the shamans is that they didn't and don't tend to have you know written knowledge. Um, it's oral knowledge. It's passed down, and. The emphasis is on the experience. You have to experience it. You Mm -hmm. have to see it because no words, no art really touches how incomprehensible it is. Because literally, our language, and that was one of the things it did when I did that deeper dive. And it was just like, you want to know how incomprehensible I am because previously it had told me that it was. And I was like, yeah, sure. And it's like, all right, well, let's get started. And all of a sudden, like my ability to even try to describe it, I it actually had a moment where it stopped showing me things because I was like, how could I possibly describe this to anybody? And it's like, why would you try to do that? <laughs> like, stop trying to do that. It's not for them to know by listening to what you write or say, you idiot, arrogant little human. Like, <laughs> just let them experience it because that's the only way that they'll really know. And even knowing Understanding, like, these words, their meanings, it's so fucking ridiculous because it's so fractal and broken from the total thing, uh, which is why, especially, again, in the Kabbalah, in the Jewish mysticism, uh, the true name of God, the all one, there is no name for that. That's why you can't speak it. You know, every name is a descriptor. My name is Jesse. That's an English version of Yeshai from the Hebrew, which means God exists. My name is a statement. (laughs) It's a language. It's a fractal piece that there's no name that can encapsulate every single thing, things that even, you know, we don't, comprehend or know about there's no word for that there's no name for that Uh, we guesstimate by calling it the all one the mystery incomprehensible everything Uh, you know we we're guesstimating we're we're drawing up simulacrums and symbols and that's all our language is is symbols that's you know that's alchemy that's how we convey knowledge or wisdom as best we can to one another is with symbols pointing to the thing But it's not the thing itself. The thing itself is, it is the symbols, it is the language, it is the words, it is the people, but it's also so much more and beyond that. And it's like, how do you tell that? Why would you try?
0: (laughs) At one time, it said to me, it didn't really like uh, very outwardly say it, but it was sort of this inflection of, stop calling me God. But it was almost it, like I understood it. It was basically saying that you know it, it was the same thing. Where were telling me about how words and knowledge, all of our books and stuff, it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything. It's all nonsense. And it was almost the same thing of uh, people ascribing meaning to things. You know, the word God is a, a symbol that people ascribe meaning to, and so calling it that, you know, people won't get that, or you won't. I won't get that because I'll just I'll, I'll think about the. Um, presupposition of what uh, I've learned God is supposedly when, you know, I just need to be reminded of the actual uh, experience and the notion of being and just being rather than trying to ascribe uh, meaning to a word. And so, but that was enough for me to understand uh, how to keep the right perspective in mind. But I try
1: always to do it outside in nature, but it, it's only good if if you have a suitable location depending on your living situation but i i do like it because um with the indigenous of course they do live in nature so prefer to sit in a in nature at night because you can also it feels more alive than a room and so it's like a microcosm of the macro but one time it was quite funny because i was in the dmt experience and i was thinking about it that you know yeah i'm It's nice to be inside because I I was kind of like inside this temple. And then I was thinking, but I also, you know, when you can see where you actually are and you also see the vision, I I mean, I was seeing double. And I noticed that, well, there's no such thing as outside and inside because I'm outside my house, but uh, there's no like, it's hard to explain. There's no like outside or inside of anything, this is where we are.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why it's so funny, because there again, like, the meaning. It, it, things are meaningful to us because we're ascribing the meaning to them. Times, places, the, and it's it's very valid. It's, it's legitimate, you know, being out in nature, being in the lab, you know, doing it on certain days, it's valid to us because we're the ones ascribing the meaning. And we're creating something being sacred or quote unquote profane when it, it all of it is actually the same. It, it's always there. It's always around. Um, it's everywhere. You know, everywhere is the one place to be. <laughs> You're just you know shifting and moving through forms and ascribing meaning to it as you go, and that's why it's meaningful is because you're able to do that. It means something to your fractal, to your person. And mm-hmm. that in and of itself is beautiful and is meaningful.
1: But one reason I, I like to do it in nature is because it's, I've had some experience with it. The place I'm in, maybe it's my own mind, probably who knows, but it's infecting the actual experience because one time it was in the middle of winter, it was very cold and I wanted to do a ceremony and There's no smoking in my house, so I decided to lock my... We have a very big bathroom, so I locked myself in the bathroom and opened the windows and did the ceremony there. And the whole DMT world realm, the beings that were there, they were all dressed and having mops, and they were all looking like janitors, and they were coming out of toilets, and they were having these, like, uh, what do you call a thing where you... Pl- they had plungers and they were, like, coming in and out of doors. and It was it was really funny. Nothing, like, didn't get anything uh, wisdom-wise from it. It was just funny. And, uh, I've seen, you know, like, so it can also be quite funny.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It uses also, like, if I've been just listening to somebody talk, it'll use their voice in my head to talk to me because it's just the last thing that I was thinking about. And it's like, well, you might as well use that to communicate kind of thing. So there might be something to do with it.
1: (laughs) So uh, one thing I could say, though, that you probably already thought about, but it's not that far away, is uh, what I always do every year is uh, that I uh, do a fast and then I uh, have some intention and I do my own traditional ceremonial stuff and then on Good Friday I take a heroic dose of whatever uh, sacrament I've decided or that I ha- can get my hands on and uh, I crucify myself because I have this uh, uh, idea that is uh, the subconscious energy of the planet uh, I mean of the Christian world which I'm living in and grew up in uh, is helping me energy-wise with it being Easter. And so I always do that on Good Friday, and then I on the s- rest on the Saturday, and then on the Sunday I rise again, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually
2: um, have been thinking that I wanted us to do something like that. Um, my idea for it was fairly similar. I'm trying to save up uh, some PTO so that I can take... Uh, probably a good week or two off uh, so that I can more appropriately diet for that um, and probably probably do a, like a cleansing type of diet, cutting out all the caffeine and other uh, particular things that might uh, hurt and then uh, go into an actual fast. Um, but then what I was wanting to do was get uh, some Syrian roux and make a good tea out of that uh, drink a good bit of that and then turn around and take a large, like really large, heroic oral dose of the DMT and just let it do its thing. Um, and see if I couldn't, you know, draw it out basically for hours or longer. Um, and see how well that went. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. We did sort of fast the first time we did it. Um, it was only for that day though, so yeah, we we will at some point have to really make a ceremony out of it.
1: If you do, if you do that thing, uh, do a lot of research because it can be quite dangerous to make your own MAOI inhibitor and then eat it orally. Uh, so just make sure you know what you're doing. Absolutely.
2: And you know what? If we die, we die. It doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> Kids, don't try this at
2: home. Do your research.
0: <laughs>
1: no, I was thinking more. Well, you don't die, but you don't. You're stuck there.
2: <laughs> I'm okay with being stuck there because it's always here. I'm I'm stuck everywhere. We're prisoners of our own device, so it's okay. Accept <laughs> everything, every possible outcome, and. Uh, The contingency plan for all of it is the same. It is to simply be, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I think also is reflected in Paul's statement in the New Testament. Um, I have learned whatever state I am in, that I am to be content.
1: So, um, well, any last words?
2: Uh... Probably that... because DMT is illegal in the United States, all of this entire conversation and our thread online is completely hypothetical. So um, it has never actually gone on in the house or anywhere. So please don't kick in my doors if you're a narc or fed that's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do, just know that you can't stop me from producing it in my own body. So, ha ha ha. <laughs>
1: of divine mystery join us at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist support the podcast and you will receive all the glory of the universe as well as my eternal thanks you can find a link at the website freedom is in the mind Now I think the best way to end this episode is with a very beautiful Icaro simply called Wisdom and Love from the compilation album Woe Songs of the Amazon. This is an amazing album of Icaros and I implore anyone that likes these sacred songs to get this album. I listen to it a lot when I do my own DMT ceremonies. Simply Google Woven Songs of the Amazon and you will find it online. But of course, I will also post some links in the program notes and on naturalbornalchemist.com. If you ain't too busy, please leave a nice review on iTunes, check out the merch section on the website, and most importantly, please look forward to next Sunday, when the episode is going to deal with Sufism, Rumi and Coleman Barks. Who, you say? Crowing comes from the rooster
0: morning comes from god
1: that's who freedom is in the mind
4: tana ha ko